last week I talked about Joshua. My name is Caleb, by the way, Caleb Lee. Uh, and I'm one of the campus pastors here at New Philly Tucson. And uh, last week I kind of like started like a bootleg, ser- like a sermon series on Joshua. I don't know if I'm going to finish it out, but I have like this prompting from the Lord to uh, preach and been re- really meditating on Joshua. I feel like God has a word for us uh, and what um, Joshua and the people of Israel I did, Israel did as they uh, entered into the promised land. And I feel like that's something that God is birthing inside my heart, not just for our church, but for all of us, for many of us. I feel like uh, God is has good and amazing things in store for us. And so <clears throat> it's, it's for, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be preaching through the book of Joshua. It's one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Um, just it's like you know, it's just it's just a you know, like like the the messages and 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 the and the heart of this book really shows the faithfulness of our God. Um, last week I talked about Joshua taking over from Moses. And Moses was uh, this leader. He was like you know the best leader. You know he was probably like the first like you know like the greatest you know like this man you know coming out of slavery for 400 years. You know the people of Israel they see this man. You know and you guys he's always depicted as having this huge beard. I don't know, I can't grow a beard, but he grew this, like, you know, he had this really big beard, and he had this long robe, and he had this staff, and he was commanding his people, and, and he did amazing things, um, and he brought down the plagues, and split the, the sea, and all these amazing things, and then Joshua takes over, and you can see from the beginning of the book of Joshua that God has to encourage him many times. <clears throat> God has to encourage him, like, over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? And I believe that Joshua... You know, had big shoes to fill with, with Moses, and so there was this this kind of this fear, this anxiety that probably crept up in Joshua. And I preached about it last week that the courage that God wants us to have is not a courage that we can muster for ourselves. Okay? It's not a courage that we can like try to like, all right, I got want I want to be braver, I want to be more courageous, right? You know, like as men, we're always taught, you know, it's kind of like a, a you know, that 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 tox, toxic masculinity, like, hey, you a man, you got to suck it up. Be a man. Don't be afraid of stuff like that. Right? You know, that's how we're, we're raised when we're young. But that really isn't like what God is telling us to do. God's not telling us like, you know, suck it up. Be a man or be a woman and, and get courageous. The courage that God and the strength that God is talking about here is a courage that can only come from God. Right? It can only come for when we when we remain in His presence, when we continue to follow Him, when we put our faith in Him. There's a courage that comes from understanding that He is in control and that we're not in control. So today I want to continue on with the book of Joshua and look at a very interesting character that we come across. And her name is Rahab. <clears throat> and we read about, uh, Amanda read about her earlier uh, in the scripture reading. But as Joshua and the people of Israel are at the edge of the Jordan, and they're about to enter into the promised land, Joshua, like Jericho, is like this first fortified city that they come across. And, and it's like, you know, like they're coming out of this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and they come. And they see this fortified city. And, and I kind of read up on Jericho, and they say that it wasn't like a wall built out of wood. It was actually a wall made out of stone. So it was like this huge wall, and, and, and it, was, it was surrounding the whole city. It was very protected, and, and they just seemed like, you know, just like a, a strong, you know, like a city. And so Jericho, uh, Joshua, he sends out two men to go out into the city, you know, blend amongst them, and then figure out, like, hey, like, like you know, Recon in the army, and you guys are no, uh, familiar with A. If you guys are A in the army or B, you've 
played Call of Duty, right? You guys know about recon, right? You got to go and recon out like what the, what the, the enemy is doing or how, how strong they are or what kind of weapons that they have. So he sends out these two spies, these two men, they go, and, um, and they, they end up in the house of this woman named Rahab. The Bible calls her a harlot. Other translations call her a prostitute. The, I think the, the, the version that we read today calls her a prostitute. But um, there's other translations and other translations in the past that try to downplay her, her, work, her, her work credentials, right? They call her a hostess, an innkeeper, right? But if you read the Bible and if you read the Hebrew, it literally says harlot. So, it's, so she's a prostitute. And, and, and the, king of, of the, the king in that time finds out about these two men. And so they send these uh, you know, soldiers to go out to Rahab's house. And, and, and find these men. And then Rahab, uh, she risks, risks getting caught for harboring these spies and tells them that the two men were here, but they took off and they left the city. And if you run, if you guys like chase after them fast enough, uh, you, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna catch them. And after the gates close, Rahab goes up to the roof where she hides the men. And then she says this. It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did with the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Shihon and, the Og, and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And so as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any of the man, any of any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard of the story of Rahab and the spies, but we, we're going to go through the book of Joshua. Um, this woman is a very important figure in this book, but she's actually a very important figure actually in the history of the, the people of Israel. Um, she's, she's, she's not just this character that just pops up once in this chapter, but she's a She's a character in the history of Israel that's actually remembered for generations. And so let's take a look at this woman and why she goes down as such an important figure uh, to the people of, of, of Israel. And first, it says that she was a harlot. A harlot is like an old-timey way uh, of saying a prostitute, right? And so she was a woman that not only the Jews would consider like, like you know, immoral and, and, and unclean, but even her own people would consider this woman as somebody that's like immoral, as somebody that's unclean, uh, a woman of ill repute, uh, or she, you know, she wasn't like people weren't looking at her and it's like, oh, there's the upstanding woman right there, right? So even not just to the Jews, but even to her own people, this woman Rahab uh, wasn't, you know, she she was considered immoral, and yet in this, in it, this is the woman that God chooses to use to bring the people of Israel into the promised land. And you have to catch this from the beginning, right? Even before the New Testament, even before, like, you know, you know, the Israelites even enter into the promised land, God is writing the story of the gospel. God is writing the story of the gospel. Even earlier on in this book of Joshua, he's foreshadowing the, the, the heart of the gospel in this woman whose name is Rahab. Because God could have used anybody. God could have used anybody to harbor the farm. He could have used a farmer. He could have used a baker. He could have used, like, you know, just a regular innkeeper. But they end up at the home of a prostitute. And, and it really shows the heart of God. And the heart of God that is 
that is reflected uh, in, this, in this woman Rahab is that nothing from your past disqualifies you for what God can do with your future. You guys have to understand this, that nothing from your past, nothing from before can disqualify you from how God can use you in your future. Because the Bible is very adamant on calling Rahab's profession out. This is very, like, it's about to fall down, so i got to kind of fold it. But the Bible is very adamant on, like, calling out her profession that she's a prostitute, she's a harlot. And she's usually always referred to as, when, we, when the Bible talks about Rahab, and she comes up many times in the Bible, she's always referred to as Rahab the harlot. And I believe it, it is God foreshadowing the heart of his plan, his plan to not only save the worst of sinners, but to use us to fulfill his purpose. Now, Rahab's past did not qualify, disqualify her from being used by God. She's the archetype of the church. She's a Gentile. She's a sinner. She's unclean. And yet she is grafted into the lineage of Jesus Christ. She is mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, in Matthew 1, when you read through Jesus' genealogy. You guys think that, who's read through the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, right? There's some boring stuff in there, right? I was like, why does, every time I start the book of Matthew, I always like get, I start, I'm like, ah, I wish I could just skip this, right? But when you read through the genealogy of Matthew, Rahab is mentioned in the book. It says, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, a very tasty name, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And we know that Jesus comes out of the lineage of King David. So a harlot, a prostitute, is saved by God and grafted into the lineage of Christ. That's the church. That's the heart of the church. That's the archetype. This is God planning out like, hey, this is, a, this, this is how I choose, this is how I'm going to choose to bring the people of Israel, like Israel into their promised land. And I'm going to use a prostitute. I'm going to use somebody that everybody would look at and say, oh, she's unclean. Everybody would look at her and say, oh, she's, you know, she, she's immoral. Like she shouldn't be doing that. And God uses her to, to bring in the people of Israel into their promised land. Her past didn't disqualify her because it was her faith that qualified her. My second point is what, what qualifies us to be used by God isn't you know, what, we, like what we do for a living. It's our faith. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, whom you devoted to destruction, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Forty years ago, our people had heard of the, 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 the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. Egypt had a huge army, had an amazing army, right? It had an army that people feared. All of a sudden, these slaves that come out of Egypt, they, they bring destruction to the army of Egypt. Right? Like all of them, and, and, and there's these stories that come out of, of, of them splitting the Red Sea and them crossing over the sea by, on dry land. And these things bring fear into the people of Canaan. Like these, 40 years ago, this has happened 40 years ago, they're like, man, like, man I hope they don't come to Jericho. Like, I hope they don't come over here because I mean, you know, like, it says that their hearts melted. You know, how, how did these people defeat the Egyptian army? How did these people 
defeat the Amorites? How did they split the sea? And, and they, were, they were freaked out. But Rahab didn't just see the people of Israel, but she saw their God. And that fear became faith. And the only thing that qualified her to be used by God was her faith. It's her faith that saved her. And then my third point is this, which it leads me to my third point. It's that fear is an opportunity for faith. Fear is an opportunity for faith. And everybody was freaking out. Everybody's like, oh, these, these, these people are going to come and they're going to take over our land. And every, it says that their hearts melted. While everyone remained in a place of fear, she was able to turn her fear into faith. Last week I talked about fear and courage. And fear is something so many of us, we struggle with because fear is one of the the key tools that the enemy uses to to bring us down. The enemy will constantly try to use fear to to, to mess with our hearts, mess with our minds. But here's the thing that God wants us to remember about fear. Every time we have fear, it's an opportunity for us to turn it into, into faith. Because God can use our fears to bring himself closer to us. Even our fears, God can use to bring us closer to him. Now, God doesn't use fear. He doesn't use fear because fear is something that our flesh produces. We think that, like, when we have fear that it's from, like, oh, I'm afraid, like, God is, like, you know, bringing down this fear upon my heart. God is, like, he's angry with me. And so he wants to, like, you know, bring this fear. But Ultimately, the fear, that, that, that anxiety that we have in our heart isn't like from anybody. It's actually from within our flesh. We create fear. Right? Our, our, our soul our, it creates fear, and we think that God is either disciplining us, um, but God actually is, uses our fear, and he wants to turn it into faith. The, the fear that our flesh produces God wants to actually turn that and turn it into faith. It's an opportunity for us to turn to him. That's what Rahab did. Everyone was freaking out. Everybody was scared. But only Rahab put her faith in the one that is above all fear. In essence, she learned how to fear the Lord. Everybody, we think that fear of the Lord is this terror. Like, oh, I'm so terrified of God. You know, like, you know, if you guys watch a scary movie and you guys, oh, like, like, I don't know what scary movies are these days because I don't like to watch them. But like, you know, they're like, oh, you know that terror. We think that the fear of the Lord is to feel like that towards God. And that is not it, right? The fear of the Lord is not us being supposed to be terrified of God. The fear of the Lord is realizing that God is the greatest and that there is no one above God. And we realize that if we don't have God, then literally we're utterly lost. That's the fear of the Lord, right? And that's what... That's what Rahab realized, is that she stopped fearing, the te- like she stopped being terrified by the, the, the army of Israel, and then she, she realized, I need this God. I need to be like together with this God of, of the Hebrews that is able to split the sea, is able to, 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 to you know, bring to destruction all these armies. I need him on my side. In Psalm 56.3, it says, When I am afraid... I put my trust in you. When I hear about the people of Israel splitting the, the ocean, basically, and like crossing over and destroying the Egyptian army, and when that starts to bring terror in my heart, and when I start to being freaked out by these people of Israel, 
I'm going to start to look at their God and say, you know what, God, I want to be on your side. When I'm freaked out about my finances, it's an opportunity for me to trust in you. When I'm concerned about my job security, it's an opportunity to put my faith in you, the one that gave me the job to begin with. When I'm afraid about my health, when I'm afraid about my family, when I'm afraid about the yellow dust that's all throughout Korea and Busan and how it's going to jack up my lungs, it's an opportunity for us to put our faith in God and trust in Him. When I'm fearful about my future, it's an opportunity to trust and have faith in you and your plans. For 40 years, the Canaanites were afraid of the Israelites, but it was only one woman that turned her fear into faith. And her and her family were the only ones that were spared. Out of all of the people in the city of Jericho, they were all, they were, even the kids, it's kind of sad, but even the kids, no, no one was spared. No one was spared except for Rahab and her family. And because when she turned her fear, and it, be, it was an opportunity for her to have faith in God. Now, I'm going to go on to my next point. Number one, my first point was nothing from our past disqualifies us for what God can do with our future. Number two, because it's faith that qualifies us and nothing else. Number three is fear is an opportunity for faith for us to turn that fear into faith. And then my next point is that true faith produces action. Hebrews 11 talks about all of the mighty men and women of faith and their action. And Rahab is mentioned in verse 31. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In the book of James, he talks about faith without works being dead. Right? I'm going to read it to you, starting from um, James, I think it's 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I, I have works. Show me your faith apart, apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart, apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when she, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was act, active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believes God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You know, you see, Rahab had faith, and her faith was followed by action. She could have believed that the God of Hebrews was the only God, but if she didn't actually help the spies... Like, she would have ended up like everybody else in the city of Jericho. Some people read James, and they think that he is disagreeing with Paul. Right? You guys know that about Paul. And Paul wrote a lot of the, he, I think he wrote, like, more of the New Testament than any other person. He wrote a big chunk of the, the New Testament, and a lot of what Paul says is faith alone, right? Faith alone. 
It's faith alone that saves us. And a lot of people think when they read this, James and Paul's writings together, they think that it contradicts one another. But when you read Paul's words and James's words, they don't contradict, they don't refute each other, but they actually complement each other. It's just that they have very different thinking styles. You know, do you guys, you know, there are certain people that have very different thinking styles and they write very differently and they, they pick out things that are very different, right? Like me and Mina are very, they're very similar in that we're very like sanguine and whatever, but we think very differently, right? And there's things that Mina will value and there's things that Mina will um, like, you know, think that is important and then there's things that I value and I think that is, it doesn't mean that I don't think what she thinks is important is wrong and she doesn't think that was I, what's important to me is wrong. It's just that we, we have different like things that we think are important in our lives, right? It doesn't mean that we're not together. It's that we disagree. We actually agree, but we think very differently. And similarly with James and Paul. Because we all stand on the words of Paul that says that we are saved by faith alone. And James falls in line with what Paul says and he adds that the type of faith that saves alone is one that produces good works in our lives. You know, God could have, like, you know, we have to know that if, it, if we want to mature in our faith, this has to be something that we understand and know. It is true that we are saved by faith alone, but the true faith that really saves is one that produces change and transformation in our it's a faith that inspires and produces action. It's a faith that Abraham had to offer up his son, his only son, Isaac, right? this precious son that he's been praying and, and crying out for for years, right? And he finally comes, and then he's actually able to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. It's the same faith that Rahab had as she hid the spies on the roof, knowing that God of the Hebrews would wipe out all of his, her people she took action, and the true faith that she had produced this action of faith in her life, and it got her family saved. The kind of faith that Paul is talking about is one that produces action. And I think we all get hung up on the word works, right? Works. We get hung up on work because we get reminded of striving. You know, we hate work. Who likes work here? Anybody like? Be honest. Is anybody like, oh, man, like, you know, I actually love my work because you know, this is my work right here. I get to talk to you guys, right? Molly says she loves her work. She's a saint, right? The majority of English teachers I know do not like your work, right? I don't care how like of a great teacher you are. Most people be like, and so we we like that's the that's the our understanding of the word works that James is talking about is similarly to that. But what 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 James actually means? Um, let me find it here. It's in the in the Greek. It actually it's eron in the Greek, and it says any product, whatever, anything. Accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. So it is like it's like a product of something. In essence, James is saying that faith that saves, but one that is not one that just intellectually in your in your mind, but a, the faith that saves is 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 something that is actually produces something in your life. It's not a faith that is just based on thinking and saying, like, oh, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was real. And I believe that he died for my sins. But then the only place that faith exists is in your mind and in your words. And it doesn't actually transform your heart. And it doesn't transform the life that you live. James is saying that that kind of faith is dead. Now, 75 
I, I Googled it, and it says 75% of Americans, Americans, Americans identify themselves as Christians. Does that mean that? That means basically 7.5 of, of Americans in a group, you know, 7.5.5 would be something very small, like you know, Molly. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. But 7.5 people out of 10 Americans in a room are supposed to be Christian. Does that mean? That 75% of Americans, when Jesus comes back, and you know, and it's time for us to, you know, like, you know, face face the judgment. Does that mean 75% of Americans are all going to go to heaven? I don't believe so. I believe that the kind of faith that saves is one that will produce in us lives that live according to God's word. The faith that saves is one where the Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. And we live sanctified lives. The faith that saves alone is one that produces in us a hunger for his word, hunger for the word of God. And then now we don't just read it and, and meditate on it, but it actually changes and we live the word of God. We, we do the word of God. The faith that saves alone is one that produces change and transformation in us. James says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Faith produces in us action. Now, does that action save us? No. Faith does. But true faith is one that produces change in us. An example of Paul agreeing with James, I believe, is in Philippians 2.12. I'll read it to you guys. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's not just like I, I confess and I thought it one day and I confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Paul is saying, hey, okay, that's where it starts, but like you need to start to like like work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You gotta start to like work out your salvation. It, like like Allow that, that truth to come inside of you and start to really change your life because he's saying that the one that changes you isn't yourself, it's God. And Rahab had faith. And everybody, you know, were afraid, but she's the only one that turned her fear into faith. But it didn't end there. She took action. And not only did she hide the spies, but in verse 7 it says, the men said to her, we, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made, uh, made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother and your brother and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, to so, it, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied a scarlet cord in her window. It didn't just require her to have faith, but she had to do what they required her to do because in their instructions was life. And in the same way with us, it's not just about having faith in Jesus, 
when we truly put our faith in Jesus, it also it's also about doing what he tells us to do out of our love and devotion to Jesus. Living godly lives doesn't save us, but it is a fruit of being saved. You can't just say, I have faith in Jesus, and then just go on living like everybody else does. And so many people all around, that's, that's their understanding of faith. Like, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I go to church. I believe in this. But there's no change, no transformation. Right? All they're doing is just like going and doing everything the same. All they're doing is just confessing with their mouth, oh, I believe in Jesus. And I believe that a vast majority of Christians in this world today, that's how they live. And that's why they come off as being such hypocrites. Because, like, like you know, they're, they're saying that, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. What Jesus said, you're supposed to, you're supposed to allow his, his spirit to transform the way that you live your life. It means that faith that saves us is one that brings action and tra- transformation and true change into who we are, into the center of our hearts. My next point about Rahab is that faith gets God's attention. This is very important. Psalms 14.2, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. What God is looking for on earth is true faith. A faith that is not only belief, but one that comes with action, one where he is able to bring fruit and transformation into the lives of the one that has that faith. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. There's a judge. He's neither righteous or, or you know, he, he, like he, he's, he's, he doesn't fear God and he has no respect for man. He's this unrighteous judge. And there's this woman that keeps coming to him every day. He says every day she comes knocking at his door. He's like, hey, I want you to, to give me justice, you know, justice against my adversaries. Give me justice against my adversaries. Give me justice for the ones that have wronged me, right? And and the judge actually relents and says, all right, I'll do it. Not because he's righteous, right? Not because he's a righteous just because it's because this woman has annoyed him so much that, that, that you know, he's been knocking on his door so much that he actually has to relent and he has to give her justice for his adversaries. And then Jesus says this in this parable and says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night Will he delay over long over time? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What Jesus is looking for, what Jesus, the reason why he came and, 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 and what he wants to, to, to bring is to bring faith for God on this earth. He wants to find on the earth faith like Rahab's. When, when when people have true faith, it gets God's attention. God saw the faith of this one woman. Not only is she saved, not only is her family saved, but she is recorded into the history of, uh, uh, into, is an example of faith and is ultimately grafted into the lineage of David, into the lineage that ushers in Jesus Christ himself. I don't think this is a coincidence. Or, or the, the faith... The, the faith of this one woman caught God's attention. And her faith actually brought her into the perfect will of God. 
where she will fulfill the plans that God has for her. And this brings me to my last point, and it's this. True faith brings you into God's plans. True faith brings you into the place of God's will and plan for your life. And now God declares you that you, that you are on his side, and he starts to work out his perfect plan for your life. And remember a few weeks ago I talked about God's will for our lives is his presence, right? But in order for us to have his presence, we have to put faith in God. In order for us to be in God's presence is for our lives to be, have faith. And that means we trust God more than money. That's, that's hard to say because this world is, is, is built on a structure and, 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 and this infrastructure is that if you have money, you have security. If you have good health, you have security. If you have a husband, if you have a wife, if you have, you know, like if you have this kind of education, you have security, right? But, but having faith is realizing that is putting, like putting God before any of the things that we think that we can, like that can bring us security in our lives. We have to put God first. And when we do that, we enter into his presence. Do you think that this prostitute was doing what she was supposed to do when she was prostituting herself? To not only be saved, but to be someone that is mentioned in the New Testament a bunch of times and becomes a woman that is in the royal lineage of the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. And the answer is no. But what changed everything for her was true faith. Faith that transformed her life and transformed her future. Do you think that after God saved her and her family, like everybody in the city is dead, everybody in the city is killed, her and her only and her family is the only one that's spared. That's spared. Do you think Rahab like went off and continued to prostitute herself? I believe I, it doesn't mention it, but I, the answer is no. I believe that she was thankful. I believe that that she she changed her life and she turned her life around. She turned from her whoring ways. Because what happened? She actually married a Hebrew man named Salmon. I love that name, by the way. It's like, his name is Salmon, or Salmon. But he actually, she actually was able to marry a Hebrew man, a Jewish man. Right? Think about it. Like, a Jewish, Jewish people back then were very, it's like, they're very, like, you know, there's even till now, they're all about morality and all about, you know, like, like not being around unclean things and not being around. And so the first thing that they, that Salmon should have not thought about when, when, when uh, Rahab approached her, it was like, oh, she's unclean. She's a prostitute, or she used to be a prostitute. But then she had changed so much that Salmon actually married her and then gave birth to Boaz. And we know that Boaz you know, married Ruth and then became the one's lineage in which David was born into. I believe that Rahab became a true worshiper of God, and God's salvation brought about true transformation in her life. And she found herself at the center of God's will for her life. Rahab, who was this prostitute, has faith, and now she's recorded into Israel's history as a woman of faith. And I believe that that is being at the center of God's heart and the center of his perfect will. When she put her faith in God, she stopped being an enemy of God and now became a friend of God. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Her past was one of being an enemy of God. But her faith changed everything. And not only did she become God's friend, but her faith brought her in line to God's plans and her, his perfect will for her life. Are you a friend of God or an enemy of God? I don't know about you, but I want to be a friend of God, right? I want God as a friend. You know, this is a, in the world, it's good to know powerful people. I believe that President Trump is president because the world, that sentiment, it's important to have powerful people. A lot of people believe that. It's good to have friends in high places. It's a whole other thing to have God as your friend and to live a life according to that truth. To be on his side, to have him on our side. For Rahab, everything about her made her an enemy of God. She was a citizen of the city of Jericho. She was literally the enemy. She was a harlot. She was, she was considered unclean, a sinner of sinners, and yet her faith in God, who she really didn't even know or even understand, brought her salvation. And she became a figure that went down into history of Israel and she would become part of the lineage that Christ was born into. Christ who brought redemption to all sinners who finds faith in him. And like I said earlier, Rahab is an archetype for the church. An archetype is like a, like a representation, an example of something else, right? She's, a, she's an archetype for the church. Nothing from her past would qualify her being saved, but it was her faith that God used to save her. And she would go on to marry Salmon and give birth to Boaz and, and all these people. And then it says, and Jesse, the father of David. The Bible translators try to translate this profession of hers in different, like, in different translations when you read it. It talks about her being a hostess talks about her being an innkeeper because they didn't want the genealogy of Jesus to be marred by this prostitute. They would read Matthew and be like, Rahab, right? This can't be the same Rahab, right? This can't be the same Rahab. And then and they, when they realize, oh, this is the same Rahab, and they're like, oh, she wasn't a prostitute. <laughs> she was an innkeeper. Let's go back and change that into an innkeeper. Let's go back and change that into a hostess because they didn't want the genealogy of Jesus to be marred by a prostitute, but I believe she is a beautiful example, a beautiful part of the of the tapestry that God writes from the beginning of history, a tapestry of redemption, grace, and mercy. And she's a shining example of who the church is. She's the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, whose past is washed away by the amazing grace offered to us by God and his great love for his people. And through our faith, we become one, and, and we become one with the one that saves us. Now, Rahab is a very important character as we go into this book of, of Joshua. And she's important, not because of just what she did, but it's because of the faith that she had. Imagine, you're, you're this, this woman, she's a prostitute in this city, and everybody in that city looks at the people of Israel, and they're like, they're like, oh man, they're going to destroy us. They're going to come and conquer us. And she's the only one out of that whole city that sees that and says, you know what? I'm a little freaked out, but I'm going to turn this fear and I'm going to change it into faith. And I'm going to put my faith in this God that seems to be able to do amazing things. 
And I want you guys to understand and know that you know, in our lives, there's, there's going to be times, there's going to be things that, that, that you know, fear might grip your heart. There's times where fear grips my heart. There's times where my, 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 the, the future, and there's times where my, like, like what will happen to us, how will we, how will we survive, and like, you know, wants to have a third kid. And the first thing that, you know, what happens to me when she says she wants to have a third kid, right, I'll be like, where's the money going to come from, right? But how am I going to do this? I can't have a third kid. Like, this is crazy. But you know what? It, every time that we have fear in our hearts, we, it's an opportunity for us to turn that fear and make it into faith and put our faith in God. And knowing that there's no other place or plan or thing that we should be at the center of than to be at the center of God's will. Because when we are at the center of God's will, it really is the safest place that we can ever be. Is, is when we have faith in God, God places us into that place at the center of his will. And, we, and in that place, we're going to understand and know that we are truly safe. It's like being like Ezra in the arms of Nina. Look at that. That's like, that's like being at the center of God's heart. It's, it's when we put our faith in God, and we're able to be at the center of his heart. And we are able to understand and know that what he has for us, what he wants for us, and what he wants to do through us and in us. Let's all stand up and let's close with prayer and benediction.